Hey, this is Melissa Green, and you are listening to Grace Point Church's podcast. Our vision statement at Grace Point is loving God, loving self, and loving others. If you want to find out more, visit gracepoint.net. We're going to take a break from our series this morning, and I wanted to talk to you about your journey and your story. See, Jesus used storytelling and parables to change our worldview, to challenge us, to make us think and engage with him in our world. Richard Rohr says that storytelling is not God as information and quick answers. Storytelling and parables is God as invitation. God as revolution and challenge. Story is not about endless analysis. It's about calling us to insight, to freedom, and to decision. Now, I'm an avid reader, so you're going to hear a bunch of quotes this morning. As Madeline Engel remarks on the stories and parables of Jesus, she says that when she was younger in school, she would be scolded for telling stories, and she finally realized that the teacher thought that she was lying. She said, no, story is not a lie. Story is truth. So I wanted to share with you this morning my story and encourage you you with the beauty and necessity of owning your journey, the movement that is constantly happening in our lives. I can now recognize that God has been moving in my life since the beginning. And I must say, I believe that God has been moving in your life, in all lives as well. Here's another quote. Consciousness is only possible through change, and change is only possible through movement. That's Algis Huxley from the book The Art of Seeing. See, God is constantly in a a cycle of renewing all things. God is stretching us and growing us, changing us, allowing things to die in us, including the things that we set up in our lives as a false sense of self, as false sense of security, including the mask that we make for ourselves so that God can continually make all things new. So this is my story, the process of life and death and renewal that continues to happen in my life thus far. I was introduced to God by an invitation to get out of hell. God loves you. He has a gift for you. Take it. At six years old, you see, I didn't have an idea that I was headed to hell, but I prayed the prayer and I made a conscious, although fear-based decision to follow Christ, and my relationship began then. I grew up in a very conservative, dare I say fundamentalist, Southern Baptist megachurch. Now, each of those adjectives holds a lot of dynamic. Our church's way was that at the end of every service, we offered that same fear-based invitation. And honestly, it all sounded very scary and dramatic as a kid, but I still sensed that God was love, and I needed that after already experiencing brokenness and divorce at the age of two. I grew up singing in that church. I was fully involved. I went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Did any of you grow up like this? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, we went all the time to church, anytime the doors were open. I was in a huge youth group um, with hundreds of kids. Our middle school group had 200. Our high school group had 400 kids. So we did things like gymnastics and karate and drama and singing all to share this gospel. My focus growing up in this church was all about personal salvation Learning the many rules we had to follow, like no drinking and no dancing. And let's just stop right there and let me tell you that that's where my confusion started with faith because I love to dance. I always have. I still do today. And we were told there should be no dancing at all in your life at church. But thank God my mom chose to put us into dance class starting at the age of four. So I took tap, jazz, ballet, and clogging for 14 years. (laughs) I can do it. Don't make me dance. Okay. Okay. 
<laughs> so mind you, I didn't grow up listening to Amy Grant or Stephen Curtis Chapman or Michael W. Smith. I grew up listening to ZZ Top, to Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson and Whitney Houston. Um, so it was finally in 1997, it was my senior year of high school, and um, Kirk Franklin and God's Property put out this record that wasn't just on Christian radio, but it was on mainstream radio, which is where I heard it. They put out this song, and I finally fell in love with Christian music. So I wonder if some of you remember this. Lately I've been going through some things that's really got me down. Somebody to help me come and turn my life around I can't explain it I can't obtain it Jesus, your love is so It's so amazing It gets me high Up to the sky And when I think about your goodness It makes me wanna stomp Makes me clap my hands, makes me want to dance and stomp. My brother, can't you see? I've got the victory. Stomp. <laughs> I'm going to take you on a musical journey as well this morning. I love it. Another thing, okay, back to the rules. Another thing that our church taught and supported was no dating those of a different color or race. I clearly remember it was on a Sunday night service that the pastor stood up in the pulpit for his sermon and said that we would be unequally yoked if you did date or, God forbid, marry a person of a different color. This is where my true questions began. See, the Baptist taught me many things, and one of the things was to value the Bible. And so because of this and all these questions, I decided I'm going to dig into Scripture. I'm going to start reading books and commentary because I wanted to learn the why behind my faith, not just to be told what to believe by my pastor, but to discover these truths for myself. When I left for college to escape those Baptists, much to everyone's surprise, not all Baptists, but those Baptists, I chose a liberal arts Church of God university here in Tennessee, now enter the Pentecostals in my life. Mind you, okay, I had never been exposed to any other churches outside of the Baptist, so my huge Baptist bubble, I mean, burst. It was the very first uh, college chapel service, and the president was preaching that morning, and he, he said, I, I want us to pray, so I reverently bowed my head and closed my eyes, and everyone started talking, and I thought it was the rudest thing until I realized they are praying, obviously. <laughs> I was introduced to some amazing songs while I was at Lee and a new freedom in worship. They allowed for some space in their services to respond to God. See, Pentecostals have captured the beauty of being emotional in our music and thus in our response to God. So it was at college that I think I first heard this song, and I think you're going to know it, so I hope you'll sing it with me.
that song back. What do you think? <laughs> Some songs have to play out their season and then they'll finally come back and I think it's time. All right, during my season, uh, during this season of my journey, I was given the okay to let go, to extend my hands and my heart fully to God in moments where I felt led. And for this demonstrative girl who always loved movement and dancing, those years let me be free to be me and know that that was a good thing. I was so challenged by this charismatic bunch, and I found, though, I had to use my voice for the first time to defend my faith and my convictions with other Christians. I began to quickly realize that there is a diversity in our Christian faith, so I kept reading more books. And this time, I decided I wouldn't just read what my Baptist convictions uh, supported. I would uh, read lots of things on any side of the debates within the church. I left college in December of 1999, and in January of 2000, I joined Truth. Are any of you familiar with Truth? Handful of you. Okay, so this is Truth. <laughs> That's me in the gray um, to the right of the girl, the blonde. I've changed hair color so many times over the year. Uh, to my back, though, the, to the right of me, that's Josh Haley, our keyboardist. Yes, Josh. <laughs> Josh and I and, and Aaron met at, in 2000, and we've traveled and, and sang together since then. But uh, in truth, I traveled and sang in many different denominations. We did over 600 concerts in two years. I lived on a bus, and I made $50 a week real life. So I continue to realize, though, during this time, again, the broadness and diversity of our Christian faith. I went on my third trip overseas with truth. As my faith had matured some, I realized that my theology and my platitudes that were so comfortable in America, they didn't work in Africa and Asia. The words were shallow, and they lacked reality in the face of these that suffer so greatly. I began to realize that if my theology didn't work in the hardest and most desperate of places, then my theology doesn't work. In 2002, I met my husband and married him, Ben Green. That year, I also joined the contemporary Christian group Avalon and seemingly entered another bubble known as the Christian music industry. Avalon was at the peak of their career in ministry when I stepped into the group, so the very first year I was able to accept an American Music Award with them, and then the very first song I recorded with Avalon was a duet with Michael Passons, and it went on to win a double award as well, and I'm so honored because Michael Passons is also a member at this church. But there was one song that we had to sing in every Avalon concert, and I got tired of it, and now I've grown to love it again um, because the lyrics still ring so true today, so I would love it if Michael could come up. We could sing a little bit of this. I think you might know it. All the colors of the rainbow, all the voices of the wind, every dream that reaches out, that reaches out to find my love again. Every word of every story, every star and every sky, every corner of creation lives to testify. For as long as I shall live, I will testify to love, I'll be a witness in the silences with words and I need love. With every breath I take, I will give thanks. 
Yes, in the silences when words are not enough With every breath I take, I will give thanks to God above For as long as I shall live, I will testify to love For as long as I shall live, I will testify to love. Oh, that makes my heart so happy. I love that. <laughs> so honored that Michael is a part of this church and a part of our arts program and helps to lead in worship here. We have, uh, obviously, as you know, some amazing artists here. In the seven years that I was a part of Avalon, I made dear friends like Michael. We did good work. We encouraged and uplifted a lot of people with our songs, and some even believed that we made good music. In fact, it's my favorite line when I meet people today, and it happened just yesterday. When, the, when it comes up that I was a part of Avalon, however it comes up, they always say, oh, my parents loved Avalon. <laughs> it's real, real life. Oh. So at the end of my season in Avalon, I realized that with all the success that I had in this industry, that something was still lacking for me. In 2007, my 32-year-old brother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer, and he died a short eight months later. My sister was left a widow at 32 and their three-year-old son fatherless. And all the well-intentioned words and prayers that everyone prayed, and I even said myself, they did no good. I was left with doubts that I was told I dare not speak and questions that I was told I couldn't ask of God. And I had to face that because at the end of the day and at the end of my spiritual rope, I found myself still here at the feet of Jesus. But this time, I wasn't praising God, I wasn't loving God, I wasn't thankful. I was hurt and I was angry and I had questions. Do you know what I found? not a God who shamed me for asking, although the spiritual leaders in my life would have made me think so. I found a God that grieved with me. I found a God that in that moment showed me that the power of the cross, the power that submitted himself to life on this earth and to death, the power that said, I didn't cause this cancer and I didn't take it away, but I am with you in this and through this. I'm with you in the midst of the heartache and the grief and the loss. I found peace, true peace, maybe for the first time. And I was baptized, not in the certainty of my faith in a God that can step in and solve my problems. I was baptized in the love of a God that will hold me through the pain. This song was a comfort to me then, and it remains a comfort to me now. Can you see the honest questions in my heart this hour, opening like a flower to the rain? And do you know the silent sorrows of a never-ending journey through day for me another day a 
2009, that I was surprised that by entering what some would call the slippery slope, that I fell not into the pit of hell, which some worried about, but instead I fell into this freedom of peace and joy that was comforting and made me courageous. And then a lot changed in my life. I started owning my questions as much as my convictions. I read Brian McLaren's book, A Generous Orthodoxy, and I'm so excited because Brian will be here at Grace Point in September. But this book is beautiful and expansive, and generous was the word that began to describe my approach to spirituality, and my life kept changing. I had my second child, Haven. I resigned from Avalon, and I was hired at Grace Point as the pastor of worship and arts. 
Now, this wasn't a dream of mine because becoming a a pastor wasn't possible for this Baptist girl, but yet it's seemingly all I've ever hoped for. After meeting and working for Stan, I started reading more. Richard Rohr, Frederick Buechner, Nicholas Walterstorff, Thomas Merton, Peter Gomes, Phyllis Tickle, who Phyllis will be with us here at Grace Point in July. So excited about that. But I started to settle into this piece, and I was reminded again that the Christian faith is broad and diverse. That diversity, y'all, is ancient. Because I knew and I thought growing up that the fundamentalist way was the only way to be a Christian. But I now realize that though this has been the dominant stream within Christianity from the beginning, it has not been the only stream. I realize that we are all the beloved that we are all born in God's image, and that means that we are all welcome and have a place at God's table. I've also continued to realize that we live in a very divisive world, and somehow now I've been pushed to the other side. But I didn't want to choose a side in this. I've longed for reconciliation and for harmony. There's this beautiful quote from the poet Richard, Richard Baxter, and it says this, In necessary things, unity. In disputed things, liberty. But in all things, charity. In all things charity. See, I long for unity without the need of uniformity, and I believe that we model this well here at Grace Point. Another big year for me was in 2012 when I first went to the prisons for Christmas to tell those men that they still have a place in God's kingdom. Prison showed me and life has taught me that this fear-based approach to spirituality is not the most effective approach. Oh, sure, it scares people in, but it won't keep people. It doesn't promote a healthy, vital, and moving faith. I was on a panel last year at a church conference, and they asked us this. They said, we live in a world that is seemingly overcome by fear. How does that fear affect the church today on a corporate and individual level? I replied then, and I stand by this now, I think the most devastating fear in our people's lives is the fear of God. If we have encouraged that God, being the very center of our lives, is one in whom we need to fear, then of course it makes sense that in turn we have turned into a fearful people. Now, I understand that in Job it says, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. And then in Proverbs it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But then over and over and over in Scripture, you have God and Jesus constantly saying, fear not, do not be afraid. And then in Revelation 1, John sees Jesus and then collapses in fear at his feet. feet, And Jesus says, you have nothing to be afraid of. So John then goes back and writes, and it's in 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So I get why fear is the beginning of knowledge, but it's not the maturation. It's not the culmination. John didn't diminish this idea that we begin with fear, but he basically said we don't end there. That's not the goal. We will mature into love. When fear is perfected, it disappears. See, we've been hiding from God for too long. We hid in the garden, and God still came. God still saw. God still wanted relationship. We have continued to hide, and I think we as the church have continued to encourage it. And I want to say to everyone, every chance I get, fear not. 
Worry not, friend, for God who enjoys our worship and our praise and our grateful hearts is the God who sits with us in our doubts and our questions and our uncertainty. It's the God who grieves with us in our pain and our frustrations and in our mistakes is also the God who celebrates with us in our achievements and in our maturity. So for me, on my journey now, I live with joy and peace because I realize that God is continually making all things new in my life, in the church, and in our world. I believe that God is continually growing us if we will choose to pay attention, if we will choose to learn from our past, if we will learn how to steward our grief and our pain, if we can learn how to steward our successes. It's Richard Rohr's idea that everything belongs. Everything belongs. Now I can finally recognize what it means to live abundantly without the overarching idea of shame to direct me, but instead allowing love and grace to lead my life. I'm a mom, a wife, an artist, a pastor, an open, inclusive one who has replaced my certainty and correct answers with humility and inquiry. I finally found that this foundation of peace and believe that in the end, not fear, but love will win. Love always wins. In our Christian history, our forefathers and mothers, they didn't have the Bible to read. They didn't have the text in front of them. Thus, they didn't have devotionals or commentaries. So their liturgy, what they sang and prayed, was literally exactly what they believed and how they passed on those beliefs to the next generation. And so that tradition continues today, even though we also have the text. But that is why it is so important and intentional what we sing and what we pray during this hour on Sundays. That is why we sing songs and pray prayers over you over and over saying, you are the beloved of God. Sometimes I'll set up a song that we corporately sing, or we're going to sing over you that will discuss feelings. But feelings are different than truths. So we will sing truths about God's love. We will sing um, songs of God's mystery, like Oceans, a song that's become a favorite here that says, you call me out upon the waters. The great unknown where feet may fail, but there I find you in the mystery. In oceans deep, my faith will stand. We'll sing the song about the truth of the greatness of our God. In that song, it says, no sky contains and no doubt restrains. See, we give freedom for your journey and your questions there, even in the music. It goes on to sing, I will give my life to know, and yet I'm far from close to all you are. See, there's this posture of humility in that, and also the idea that there is always more that we will come to know, always more that God will reveal, always more that the Spirit is still speaking today. But when we set up songs about feelings, feelings are real. They vary. Yes, they're not true for everyone. So sometimes we sing songs about doubts or about regrets. Sometimes we'll sing songs like Amazing Grace, but only after, only after I can explain to you that the author of that song was a horrible captain of a slave ship, and he had a dramatic conversion to be a follower of Christ. So when he penned the words to save a wretch like me, he felt it and he meant it. But for us to think that when we sing that song that we are corporately wretched implies that this is who we think we are at our core. So we will not sing this song corporately unless I explain that first because it just so happens that sometimes, yes, we feel like wretches today, but that's not who we are at our core, and that's where I think the confusion sets in. So you will not hear us sing songs that have us corporately saying, I am unworthy. I will not have you sing something over yourself that I do not to believe, believe to be true about you and about me. 
Now, I recognize when we say words that they all have different meanings for all of us, and the word unworthy can mean different things. But when we say prayers and sing songs that say, I am unworthy, and God, you are worthy, what we are in essence saying is we are not deserving of God's love. Now, let me tease this out for you. To deserve, by definition, means to be worthy of. Thus, to not deserve means to not be worthy of. But oh, let me remind you what God calls you and I because it is not unworthy. God calls you beloved. God calls you child. God calls you friend. God calls us brothers and sisters of Christ. No, we can't earn God's love, but that is altogether different than saying we are undeserving of it. Now, do we ever act in an unworthy manner? Yes. Do we sin? Yes. Do we fall short? Yes. But is that the core of who we are? No. No, it is not. As one of your pastors, I will not let you tell yourself that untruth any longer. You, my friends, are loved by God unconditionally. And the beauty is we didn't have to do anything to earn it, nor is there anything that can be done to take that away. So I want to sing and pray with a grateful heart to God, but not with a posture of having to talk down to myself. The good news that we are sharing here in song and in sermon is you are loved. You are ultimately safe. You are each on a personal journey with God, and we believe that in the end, all shall be well. That's why we've been writing songs like the one we sang last week, if you were here, that says, let us not forget who we are. Yes, we go on a journey, each and every one of us. Some of us take um, too many prodigal journeys. Yes, that's going to happen, but at our core, let us not forget who we are. That's why I wrote a song called All Shall Be Well that we sing sometimes here. It's based on a prayer by Julian of Norwich that says, In the end, all shall be well. All manner of things shall be well. The bridge says, In your love, all things are made new. Please remind me still. See, I long for us to come awake and be aware of the reality of what we believe God is doing in our lives and in this world. That's why we sing a song that Katie and Jacob Eckeberger wrote that become a, one of our favorites here. It's a beautiful song that simply says, we all belong here. The chorus just says that over and over again. We all belong here, here at the table, here at the table that is representative of the kingdom of God. See, I think you could be in two different places on any given Sunday morning or at any moment in your life for that matter. You can either be in the place that you need to be reminded of your worth, of your place. You need to be reminded of the strength and the peace that is available to you, strength enough for today, mercies that are made new every morning. You are either in that place or you were the one allowing your assurance of who you are as the beloved to shine so brightly for others to see that it draws them in. You were the one this Sunday with so much peace that it flows out, and with that then, you were ushering people back to the table with your life and with your song. So you can either sing this morning, your grace is enough, and you sing it with desperation in your heart, or you can sing your grace is enough with a sweet assurance and the good news is, whatever place you're in today, there are others here on the opposite side of the table that can balance us out. So if you have a prayer request today, then I can believe that there's someone here in this room that probably has your answer. See, the beauty is we are in this together. The beauty is each of us is on our own journey and has a story to tell. And our stories together make up the grand story that God is telling in this world. So let's live into this. 
Saint Exuberi said, what saves a man is to take a step and then another. It's always the same step, but you have to take it. You have to take it. So let's keep moving forward. Let's keep taking steps towards bringing about the kingdom that Pastor Clint talked about earlier. Let's take our place at this table. Let's actually work on being the hands and the feet, the face and the smile of God to each other in this community and in our world. I don't say that often in prayer because I run out of things to say. I say that so we will get it. I say it so it will settle down deep into our souls that we are loved, we are called, and we have great worth. So let today be a reminder to you that you too have a story to tell. Amen? Amen. I invite you to stand as we close early today, but before we leave, I just want to pray and bless us as we go. This is a story that's older than you or me, deep as a well in the desert, a journey begun in the far-off time. The story is mine, and the story is ours. If we open our ears, we can hear a story that grows with the passing of years. It's made of our laughter, made of our struggle, and our fears. It's the story that we share. The journey to there is happening here and now. It's a story our children and our grandparents share, a mystery for all of us to ponder. It's a journey to make, if we dare, a story to grow us. It's a tale of love, and it's the story of us all. It's the story of dying and rising again. It's a story of friendship found in the wine and the bread. The story is mine, and the story is yours, and the story is ours. Jesus, you told great stories. They helped people make sense of their lives. They revealed God in ordinary things and in ordinary times. They encouraged and changed people. Make us ready to share our stories. God, give us words when we can't find our own and confidence to know that our stories matter and tact to know, God, the right place and the right time to tell them. And also, most importantly, make us ready to listen. Help us to remember that we are the beloved. God, we ask this in your name, and all God's people said, amen. Have a blessed Memorial Day. Thanks for being with us at Grace Point.